This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now. Welcome to the Krishnadas Pilgrim Heart Hour. This podcast is a manifestation of our interconnected lives, and we wish to keep it free at all costs, if you can say that. So, we are dependent on the generosity of you, our listeners. So, please go to mindpodnetwork.com slash kd, and either use the donate button, or just bookmark the Amazon portal. We receive a small percentage of however much you pay for whatever you bought. Nothing extra for you, but a tangible contribution, if small, for us. You could also sign up for a free trial with the voluminous audible.com. We get something out of that, too. We thank you for the support and allowing us to continue presenting Krishnadasa's excellent talks. So... You remember that Ramdas said <laughs> that uh, when he wrote Miracle of Love, he was still fascinated and uh, fixated the miracle aspect of what happened around Maharajik because it was miracles 24-7. And one kind or another. And he felt that um, when he wrote Be Here Now also. So he felt that he had missed the point to some degree. And that over the years he had recognized that in fact the love was really the essence of it all. And of course <clears throat> when when he always told us that story back in the old days, when we first met him in 68 and 69. My mom took me. We were, of course, also very impressed by the miracles, but we got the same hit that he got from Maharaji when Maharaji said spleen about his mother being big here with, and dying of spleen. And at that point, he fell apart. It didn't have anything to do with what with Maharaji said, the content of what he said. But, but at that moment, 
the stars were right, you know, and his heart opened and not an emotional heart, but kind of the shell around the true nature was cracked and he experienced being home in a way that he had never experienced before. And that's what we experienced when he would tell that story and we were with him. So I said to him, you're wrong, right? You, you said that, but that's not true. But then this morning, and then I woke up in my thinking, in the middle of the night, I said to myself, no, wait a minute, he wasn't wrong. But he also wasn't completely right. And I wasn't wrong either. So, <clears throat> so I came up to him after this, after he talked this morning, and I said, what he said this morning, of course, was how it had been a process of recognizing that even though his so-called ego was fascinated with the miracles, and that's what he was experiencing, what was coming through him was that love and Maharaji's presence. So both were happening at the same time, like he always talks about the two levels existing at the same time. And I remembered that uh, this last year when I, I did the CD, Hard as White as the World, there's a bunch of English on there. And this was the first time that I really started writing some stuff in English. And it wasn't easy because English is my native language. It's, and what I discovered is that just like Ramdas didn't experience the love as he was, as it was coming through him, so to speak. When I chant, it goes, it, it, when I chant, it doesn't, in some ways, it kind of circumvents my native wiring, you know, my my, who I think I am, my, my conventional Western sense of meanness. It kind of goes around that, and then it goes through it, and up and down, and all through it, and it's okay. But when I tried to write something in English, I, I discovered I didn't have the wiring to express that love, unconditional love, in English, either for myself, or for others, or for because it made me too vulnerable. I didn't have the wiring to do it. And you know, a couple of years ago, I was in India with Siddhima, who's Maharaji's great devotee. And we were talking, I said, Ma, what is it with Westerners? What is it with us? We can't accept love, it's just what's going on with us? So she said a few things, and then she, one of the main things she said at that time, she said was, when you were a child, love was used and affection was used to control you, to get you to do what your parents wanted you to do. And you knew that you had to show them what they wanted to see in order to get the stuff that kept you alive and the affection that you needed. So I thought, that's interesting, yeah. And then about a week later, uh, 
you know, I talked often about Mr. and Mrs. Tawari and the family and how close I was to this. So the oldest grandson of Mr. Tawari was being married. And all the grandchildren, all the cousins came from all over and they, for the wedding. And they came up to the temple to get the blessings of the temple and to see Ma. And all these young people were in the back of the temple. And I was there with them. And they were all sitting around. And Ma was talking to them all. And they'd known, they'd known her their, their whole lives. And there was so much sweetness there between them. You know, between the cousins. So much sweetness. I was looking at this family, and I was, I was starting to cry. There was, it was so beautiful and so sweet. And she just turned to me and she said, You see, this is what you missed by being born in America. <laughs> and I thought, Right on. I don't know about you, but... I had a good family, not a bad family, but that kind of sweetness, we didn't have that. We didn't have that. And that sense of trusting the love, like Tuari and I, we used to argue. He would pick fights with me on purpose. He would just look for the buttons and then push them. And I would explode, and he would love it. He'd go, ah, you will fire upon me now? <laughs> and he wanted a party. And the thing was, he wanted, we could get angry and fight and look in each other's eyes and go like, this is allowed? Wow. You can yell at somebody? You can really, you know, really express yourself and not, you know, not where, see, in their family, they yelled, they screamed, they loved, they did everything. And nobody was at all afraid that anybody really would ever throw them out of their heart. They might be angry, but the love was just completely understood. Not only understood, it was recognized and it was appreciated and it was expressed. But that didn't prevent them from, you know, screaming and yelling. In fact, it allowed it to happen. Nobody screamed in my house. Don't talk to me like that. Don't look at me like that. You know, there was, and so. So this has been a process. So Ramdas and I were talking about how Maharaji's grace and how, how this path for us, we experience as a ripening process. A ripening process. And we're developing slowly, you know, Tuari, another thing Tuari once said, he said, this, this path, he said, this is like loading explosives, he said. You know, you have to do it very carefully, one, one, one thing of dynamite at a time, otherwise the whole thing goes up. Everybody, we think we want it all right away. Forget about it. You know, Raman Maharshi said, when he had his experience that uh, Ramesh Radas described this morning, he said... He, he felt, and then he left home, he felt he was a tiny little speck of dust riding on a tidal wave. This is big time stuff. We've got all kinds of stuff locked up in there. All kinds of fear, all kinds of vulnerabilities, all kinds of stuff. And these practices give us the strength over time to let go of that stuff 
and learn to be learn to be who we are in a good simple way and the that's the way the name works. It works kind of under the radar, the repetition of the name. It kind of inflates that part of you that was crushed by the way we were born, the culture we were born, what our parents, what did our parents believe about themselves, right? My parents weren't happy. And when I saw my uncles and my aunts and my grandparents, they were nice, they were loving, but I could see, whoa, there's some loose screws in there. <laughs> I could see it. It was right there. I grew up with that. I mean, I knew they weren't happy. Nobody was happy. Nobody knew what was going on. And I was looking around thinking, like, what is this? How does this work? When nobody understands anything, how does this work? So, through the repetition of the name, this presence, this place within us is uncovered. Slowly, gently, gradually, but thank you very much. <laughs> Inevitably, it's inevitable. You're on a train, train's going down the track, you're at the front of the train, right? You're running as fast as you can in the opposite direction that the train is going, towards the back of the train. It doesn't matter. When the train gets to the station, you're at the station. That's inevitable. Once you start this, it just keeps going, with you or without you. Because, you know, we come and go, we do more or less practice, we kind of, we get lost in our stuff, we come back. But that's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way it has to be. I used to want to go to, I used to want to be a yogi and go to a cave in India, right? Forget about it. You know what's in those caves? Scorpions, snakes, and no TV. No way I'm going to a cave. No. And there's nothing to lay down on. Some straw with fleas and bugs. It's horrible. So, we are doing, you know, Maharaj used to joke, there's the, there's the Ashtanga, eight-limbed yoga. Maharaj used to joke that the Westerners were qualified for the five-limbed yoga, which is kane, pine, sone, gup, and gumne. Kane is drink, eating. Pine is drinking tea. Drinking, but he meant tea. Kane, pine, sone, sleeping. Wandering about and gossiping. <laughs> this was the five-limbed yoga we were qualified for. And he was right. Here we are, right? What do we do? Yeah, we do a little rom-rom, and then what time is the Nick game on, you know? That's what we can do. That's okay. It's all okay because the process is going on. We're still in the sun of that presence all the time. We're never outside of that presence because that presence is who we are. It's who these great beings know themselves to be also. So whether we come and we go in, out, awake, asleep, up and down, we're still in the presence. And that presence is ripening us. You can't go faster. You can't go slower. 
just lay back and enjoy the ride as much as possible. And if you don't enjoy the ride, see a shrink. <laughs> or something. Because enjoying the ride is part of life. You don't... Being unhappy is not a requirement. It is not a requirement. In fact, contentment is considered to be a great... Uh, a great boon, a great addition to the path, a great quality to have, that wherever you are, you're content reasonably. So. This is a really, it's an important point to me because I grew up with so much self-loathing. Grew up, what time is it? You know, well, until Steve's class, I was full of self-loathing. Then it hurt too much to remember it. Uh, so the issue of, of how I feel about myself is a really, you know, how, what's the quality of my day? Right? What's the quality of my day? So done a lot of Ram Rams over the years, and the quality of my day has only begun to change recently. And I notice that, as much as I hate to admit it, I actually mope around less than I used to. <laughs> How did this happen? I love moping. It's my whole life. What happened? So, what, the way this, I think, the way this works is that this, and they say that the more, as you do these practices, as you get on with your work and your life, the stuff that, that you don't need leaves your life. And you may not even notice. And the stuff that you need comes into your life. And you wind up spending less time in negative states of mind without, without realizing it. You're not... When you're not unhappy, you don't necessarily notice you're not unhappy. Or when you spend less time in negative states of mind as, as, as we ripen. And... This practice of the repetition of the name, for instance, is a very subtle and very deep and very powerful practice. <clears throat> and it works, in, it works under the radar. You think it's all about, it's not all about what happens right here now and whether we get off and we had a good kirtan and whatever that means, right? It's not about that at all. Every repetition of the name, of any one of these names from any tradition, is a seed. It's a seed. And it has a power, just like a seed has a power. You look at a seed, you don't see the tree right away, but it's in the seed. Every repetition of these names is like a seed, every single repetition. And as Sri Ramakrishna said, who was a great saint in the 1800s, these seeds are carried by the wind and they land on the roof of an old house, right, in the middle of nowhere in India. And in those days, 
the roofs of houses were sometimes made from tiles that were baked in the sun, a mixture of clay and earth. They were baked in the sun, then they were put on the houses. So the seed is carried, and it gets stuck between the tiles of this old house, on the roof of this old house. And over time and seasons and rain and wind and sun and snow, the the tiles begin to break down. And then the seeds take root. And they grow and grow and grow. And they destroy the roof of the house. And they keep growing and they destroy the whole house. Ramakrishna says, that house is who we think we are. Because we think we are who we think we are, so we act that way. If we didn't think we were this way, if we didn't have programs running that tell us all this information, false information about ourselves, I'm this, I'm that, I'm here, I'm there, I'm this way, I'm that way, all that stuff, we would be in God all the time. But those programs and those thoughts that we automatically believe, that is a conglomeration of stuff that we that is who we think we are this practice destroys that false sense of self over time little by little and when the walls are gone and the roof is gone there's only one space there's no separate temporary divisions in that space The me was what was locked up in that house. Whereas all around it was open space. So when we no longer think we are A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all that stuff, we're not. We recognize our true nature. Gradually, but inevitably. So over these years, I actually started to develop new wiring. Some little guy's been sneaking in and rewiring this thing. And so my experience, the quality of my days has changed. Little by little as time went on. Chances are... Even if you have a big bang, you know, then you have a big bomb after that. You drop. Every time you go up, you come down. It's not about all that. It's about removing the dust from the mirror of our hearts so that the reflection is clean and pure and accurate and shows us what's really there. And that's, that's love and happiness and all those corny things. You can't just stop thinking these thoughts, the thoughts of who we are. Where is the thought to grab it and crush it? You can't do that. You learn to let go 
how do you learn? That's what we're doing. We're training ourselves to let go. Every time you're thinking, you come back to the chant. And that, that uh, makes a, whatever, makes it easier the next time, over and over again, every time. That was a good question. Someone told me that uh, that last summer in 73, when just before Maharaji left the body, he was sending people back to America, sending the Westerners away. <clears throat> and uh, somebody said to him, one of the Westerners said, we don't want to go. We want to stay with you. And he said, Nate, you can't stay with me. You must go. Your families are waiting. Your lives are waiting for you there. And besides, he said, I gave you more than I gave the Indians. I let you love me unconditionally. I let you love me unconditionally. Of course, there were many Indian peoples who, who did have that relationship with them, but many of them didn't. But this intense group of insane Westerners who just wanted to sit and look at him like this all day long. He let us. <laughs> he, now, can you, you have a feel for who that, who could say that? Who can say that? I let you love me unconditionally. It means that one time he looked at one of the Western women. He said, why do you love me? And she said, I don't know. He said, you love me because I love you. This is love talking. This is love talking. He, had, he is love. He is that. And he opens the door for us to enter into it. We want to enter into it, but we don't even know where the door is. He opens the door and says, hey, come here. I let you love me unconditionally. Who lets you do that? Only someone who is unconditional love can say that, can do that. So basically, he just ruined our lives. I mean, what's ever going to be enough after that? We've spent our whole lives trying to forget that. And we can't. So now we just gave up.
the hell with it. Let's just go for it. Love. Because we all had so many karmas to burn off here. It's not a mistake. Ramdas had lots of stuff to go through. All of us had lots of stuff to go through before we were ready to say, all right, right, okay, forget that stuff. This is what, this is what I want. And it's already been given to me. It's been done. It's done already. In fact, <laughs> Maharaji once said to somebody, she asked for something. He said, nah, don't worry. I've done everything. I just leave the mind to you. Thanks. I've already done everything. I just leave the mind to you to figure it out next. It's done already. Now, just let it happen. So when we do these practices like this, we're putting ourselves in harmony with that ripening process. We're, we're, we're strengthening that surrender muscle. It's not easy to surrender. It's the, it's the goal. It's the end of the path. Surrender, you don't do it. It happens by grace at the right time. All we're doing in the meantime is cleaning up the room so when surrender walks in, they can sit down. That's it. He said, once I take your hand, I never let go, even if you let go of mine. And for me, he added, why do you run away from me? Even, and he pointed to another guy that said, even when I run away from him, he doesn't run away from me, but you run away. I said, I don't run away. Yes, you run away. <laughs> but yeah, I guess I do. Once I take your hand, I never let go. Even if you let go of mine. He said it all. He did it all. We weren't paying attention. <laughs> You know, we couldn't. We had so much karmic dust on our glasses. We couldn't see what was going on. But over this time, it's, that process is still working for everybody. And gradually we begin to see all the blessings we have and all the beauty that's in our lives and in our own hearts. Thank you for listening to the Krishnadas Pilgrim Heart Hour. We really appreciate your support and hope you'll continue that support by going to mindpodnetwork.com kd and clicking on the donate button or using our amazon.com portal for all of your purchases. Thank you. Namaste. 
This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash be here now.